If you are new, uh, what we do, we preach through books of the Bible, and we find ourselves in Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews for quite some time. Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Sam spent the last couple of weeks doing uh, some really awesome setup for what we're going to talk about uh, today. And Hebrews 12 is um, one of my favorite, maybe maybe the most uh, favorite for me, chapters in the Bibles. I'm really excited about uh, the time this morning. So if you want to grab your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. And if you'll stand with me, we'll read this together, and then we will get into the content. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be, it'll be behind me here. Hebrews 12, chapter 12. <clears throat> Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. All right. So before we get started on going verse by verse, I want to do a little bit of, of setup. I think chapter 12 is, is a good place to, to do this because we, we see uh, doctrine and exhortation kind of combined uh, together. So, so all, most of Hebrews, certainly chapter 12, is the combination of a thing called doctrine and a thing called exhortation. And these two things, they have a relationship that is really important to us understanding how to interpret the text that we're going to look at today. Okay, So doctrine, think of doctrine as right knowing. Think of it as the principles, uh, the truth, if you want to call it that. These are things that God says about himself. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is the cross. This is what that means. Uh, doctrine is right thinking. Exhortation is encouragement towards doing something. So think of that as, as right doing. Sometimes it makes its way as a command. Other times it's just a, this exhortating encouragement. Uh, exhortation is founded on and comes from right knowing. It comes from doctrine. Okay, And so the last couple of weeks we've looked at, there was a little bit of exhortation, but mainly uh, doctrine around suffering and doctrine around discipline that is going to inform how we think about the text Today And the way that this works in our relationship with God, you have this doctrine, this right knowing that through reflection and a movement of the Holy Spirit reveals the nature of God. And then the Spirit uses that to move us into some sort of action that reveals God's glory to the world. That, that is, in a nutshell, why we exist, to reveal God's glory to the world. And the relationship and the order of those things, the actors in how that happens is really, really important. So if we start out with right doing and we, we come and we say, um, we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to earn this, we're going to that sort of a thing, then we miss Jesus as Savior. We miss Jesus as, as the way. If we start out with doctrine but never move past that, if, if we start out with the right knowing uh, without the, the doing attached to it, then we miss Jesus as king. And Jesus is both savior and king. And so we see this, this beautiful picture in chapter 12 of, of God going before us, really, is, is what is happening 
in that he is not asking us to do anything that he has not made a way for and that he is not doing for us and through us and in us. Okay, so our, any doing that we do is stepping into what God is doing. Really important we understand the order of that as we, as we look at any exhortation. That's true of any exhortation. So we understand the order. Uh, let's look at the tone uh, before, we, before we jump into this. So this tone sounds a little bit, let's read this. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. It sounds a little bootstrappy, uh, if you know that term. Uh, it sounds a little bit like you need to get your stuff together, and there, there's probably... Uh, a little bit of that in, in here. Um, but, but that's not really the tone in which the Father approaches us with any sort of exhortation. I grew up in a family whose culture was grit and personal accountability. That's just like our family structure was like that. And so that played itself out uh, in different ways. It still, still plays itself out a little bit. My son turned 10 a couple weeks ago, and he was opening uh, his presents, and he asked his grandfather... What did you get for your 10th birthday, Grandpa? And my father says, I got a garden hoe for my birthday. You know, and he's serious. Like, that wasn't like a joke. He was like, I think this toy is going... To... Anyway, so... Um, but that played itself out also just in terms of the culture in which our family operated. There was a, a mother and father who lovingly created this environment where they were showing us and exhorting us into action. Whenever we lost a game... Uh, we came home, I, we didn't get to talk about, it was off limits, uh, you know, how the ref messed the game up or how the other team or how my teammates, uh, we had to focus on uh, where we messed up, you know, and, and how we could have served and how we could have loved better. But it was done within the context of a loving father and a loving mother uh, helping, helping shepherd us uh, through that. So that's a good example, a shadow of how what God is doing here. Uh, we've probably all been... I've experienced this not working so well, right? When we had a coach or a, maybe a you know, CEO or a sales manager, or maybe you're just ourselves who it, it puts it more on us and is co- telling us on your own to pick yourself up and, and to get this, get this thing right, get that thing right, whatever it is. Uh, but the tone here is one of, of loving invitation into what he's doing. So as we're receiving this exhortation to do something, know that this is, this is coming from a loving Father, and, and why, you know, the third thing I want to look at before we get into it, why the writer felt the need to include it. Why include this? Um, and I, m- my thinking is that uh, it's because Jesus' way is not really self-evident to us. I don't know if you've realized this yet or not. I, I wrestle with this every day. Jesus' way is not intuitive to us. His, his kingdom is upside down. It was confusing uh, to the disciples. It got more clear when the Spirit came and, and helped walk them through that. But anytime we try to interpret what Jesus is doing through our lens, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so we see that up in chapter 11 when he's talking about all of these amazing things that people did, David and Samuel, etc. And then in the same breath, transitions into... And then they were stoned and sawn in two and killed with the sword and, and wandering around in the desert, you know. And so we, we see this picture of, of winning. We're like, oh, that, that sounds right. Like, I would like to be a part of a kingdom that looks like that. And then we see this picture of a kingdom that, that kind of looks like losing, you know, if, if you think about what we're reading here. And then he keeps going and he says, hey, by the way, you're going to need endurance because there's going to be suffering. There's going to be suffering. So not only is suffering inevitable... But it is necessary. Even Jesus, um, his obedience was perfected through 
his suffering. And he goes on to say, discipline also is going to be a part of your relationship with me, and it's a sign not that I am angry with you, but that I love you deeply. And so we get this picture uh, of God that that God is not really a problem solver. That's not, that's not really his role. He's, he's more of a, a loving father who is forming and shaping us uh, into the image of Jesus. And he will use everything, anything within his power in alignment with his nature to do that. Even if that looks like suffering, even if that's redeeming suffering, even if it looks like things that we don't think are good for us, he will use that because... He loves you. Therefore, as we look at the text today, because of all of that, therefore, lift your drooping hands. Therefore, make straight paths. Therefore, pursue peace. Therefore, pursue holiness. So this is the lens as we step into the text, and we're, we're going to go uh, line by line through this, but this is the lens that we need uh, to look at. God is doing something in us, asking us to step into that in the tone of a loving father, Uh, because he loves us. So let's look at what he's asking us to do. Let's look at verse 12 uh, through 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now this text, it could be be adapted to look at us as individuals to, to be encouraged and to pick ourselves up. But the original text was actually written in the plural form, meaning that this text about drooping hands and weak knees was actually talking to us as a whole, not us as an individual. It's talking to us um, as the church. And these readers would have been really familiar with this. This comes from Isaiah 35. I think we have that. So he's pulling from this text, which says, strengthen the weak hands. Notice the the there instead of your Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have been anxious at heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And so he's using this text to encourage us when he's talking about drooping hands and weak knees, that is actually members of the body. That is uh, you and I, and he's calling us to think about and be active in each other's lives, to have an active role in how each of us are going uh, through our day to day. And he looks, we, if we go back to Hebrews three thirteen, he said, but exhort one another when? Every day. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the sea deceitfulness of sin. So he's encouraging us as a body. This is a race that we are in together. And this is a community of people by which we're called to enter into and endure that race. And as one of us are weak or disabled or, or straying or whatever that looks like, we are to respond to that, to respond to what he is already doing and partnering with him in bringing healing and bringing restoration and bringing encouragement to each other, we're to protect the vulnerable, we're to support the weak, and sometimes that's me, and sometimes that's you, and we all, over the course of this race, are taking turns um, helping each other, removing stumbling blocks, um, using our Christian liberties wisely so that each of us are moving in our relationship to God into a greater peace, into a greater 
holiness, and that can look like lots of different things. I am wearing a collared shirt today. I don't know if you noticed. Um, I'm wearing a collared shirt because I know that my mother is going to see this at some point. And if she saw me in public teaching with a t-shirt on, which is my standard, it would incite her to anger. And so I don't want that to be true. And so I wear a collared shirt to teach on Sunday morning. Okay. All right. So going on to verse 14 through uh, 16 in the original text, this was read, this was one long sentence. So we're going to look at this as one piece. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And so this section is teeing up two virtues, peace and holiness, flanked by three things that are a threat or could cause harm to the peace and holiness that we are seeking. So let's look at uh, peace and holiness first. Peace to us is counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive. And I think that is one of the main reasons, kind of going back to the first part, he calls this out, not just peace, but peace with, with everyone. Uh, another way to think about this is, is unity, kind of what Nathan was talking about in worship. And it's important, just like it's important to know the orientation between doctrine and exhortation, it's important to know uh, the orientation of peace. Peace is something that is produced in us. It is not something that we go and obtain or something that we go and, and conquer and then we have peace. Peace is something that is produced in us. We see this last week. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this process that God, that Sam walked us through last week, this process uh, it produces peace in us Peace is a fruit of what? We see this in Galatians. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that is received as we follow Jesus, not something that we obtain. If we get that wrong and we start to say, okay, well, I'm going to figure out what peace looks like, peace starts to look more like uh, being right. If I can just be right, if you just know that I'm right and we agree to that, then, then we will have peace. It could start uh, to look like a lot of things that are not peace, winning, taking back, whatever that may look like. And, and we want to see change in our families and neighborhoods and, and workplaces. Um, but that's not going to come by being right or by winning. It's going to come by being sacrificially present in those places with those people pursuing peace and pursuing holiness by having our eyes fixed on Jesus. Peace is something that is produced in us. Okay, all right, so peace and holiness. Holiness we're going to look at in more detail next time when we look at a kingdom cannot be shaken, this next section. But one note on holiness. Holiness, to, to the folks that were reading this, their view of holiness, because of their culture and because they were Jewish, their view of holiness is, is almost certainly greater than our view of holiness, and it's because in their culture, and, and if you read the Old Testament, God's holiness was something that was uh, on display and mighty. And there's lots of different examples of that. So much was, is his holiness that you can't get close to the mountain, like different things like that. And so they would have had this picture of God's holiness, and they're reconciling this story of Jesus. 
Jesus comes along and all of a sudden we've got this mighty, untouchable, trembling when he speaks God. Jesus comes along and now I can be in his presence and I can be with him. And so the writer of this is, is encouraging this group of people um, to seek holiness uh, without which no one will see the Lord. They have a different perspective on holiness. Okay, so we've got peace and holiness that we are striving for as a people as we're doing that together. And there are three things that we'll briefly look at that could run counter to that, could get in the way of, of peace and holiness. So let's, let's read through those. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So the, the beginning of this text, we see the phrase, see to it. Really important that we take note of that. That see to it is referencing the whole body, just like the whole text is. He's not talking to elders or pastors uh, only in that. There's some instructions for elders and pastors later. He's talking to all of us to be watchful and to look for these things that can get in the way of peace and holiness, that can get in the way of of unity. And there's three things in this text that we're just going to briefly touch on, and I'll go through them. One is abandonment, one is complacency, and the third is immediate gratification. And all three of these are going to be familiar. The writer pulls these from Old Testament uh, stories. We're going to look at Deuteronomy specifically, which, by the way, as an aside fun exercise to do is you're reading through Hebrews, look at how many Old Testament references there are. It's all over Hebrew. Almost Hebrews is almost like taking the Old Testament and rearranging a few things and putting it uh, back into place. And it just, it's a good reminder. If anyone ever says that the Old Testament is not useful anymore or that the Old Testament does not reveal the nature of God, you can peacefully tell them that is not true. Okay. All right. So let's look at Deuteronomy 29. 18 through 20. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and of dry alike. So the first thing to watch out for is, is the person who, who walks away from God. Hebrews has addressed this in a few other areas. We, we saw this in, in chapter 4 and chapter 6. And the text says one who falls uh, short here, and just a quick aside on that, that we, we all fall short of the glory of God. We, we all know that. That's, that's familiar to us. This is not talking about that. This is talking about specifically a person whose faith proves not to be genuine. It's someone who walks away from their faith, abandons uh, their faith. Another word for this that we see regularly is uh, the word apostasy. So if you've ever heard that word, this is an example of that. So watch out for abandonment of God. This is someone who just doesn't accept Jesus as Savior. It's just, they just don't accept that. They go on about their lives. The second one, the second one is complacency. And we'll spend a little bit more time on, on this one. This is, this is the belief that you can be part of the family, you can be part of the church, and you can continue to do uh, whatever you decide. You continue to choose your way. So this is someone who accepts Jesus as 
Savior, so maybe the doctrine component, they're, they're, they're okay with that, Jesus is Savior, but it's someone who doesn't accept Jesus as king. And this is something that, that both this text and the text in Deuteronomy um, doubles down on because it's, it can be so destructive, and they, they call it out as being someone that affects more than just the person who is participating in that. And the only time, if you go and read the rest of this text in Deuteronomy, very strong language. God is, is just, I, I, I didn't read it this morning. It's very, very strong. The only other time I've seen language that strong against something was when Jesus and Matthew was talking about um, causing a child to stumble, where he says, it would be better for you to have a stone tied around your neck and thrown into a lake and drown than it would be to cause a child to stumble. Very strong language. So we want to pay attention to and watch for all of us uh, complacency in each other. This is something to watch for and to be encouraged, an encouragement to each other not to fall into complacency. And then the third thing that we see here is immediate gratification. And, and the writer uses the story of Esau to, to, to make the case that immediate gratification um, is, is not a path that you want to follow. Immediate gratification is, is a threat to peace and to holiness. You may have heard the story of Esau. This story comes from Genesis chapter, uh, I believe it's 25 through 27. Esau is the oldest son of Isaac. So you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, Esau was actually Jacob's older brother and originally was meant to inherit uh, the everything that, that Isaac had, and he, you know, that was going to be his thing, and he just didn't care, you know? And so Esau comes in from the field and hunting, and he's really tired, and he goes to his brother, whose name was Jake, by the way. He goes to his brother, and he said, I am hungry, and his brother was cooking a lentil soup, and he says, I am hungry, and Jake, being the entrepreneur that he was, said, I will make you a trade. I will give you a cup of soup, for your birthright. It's like, wow, that, that seems like a steep price to pay. Remember, this is everything in their culture. The birthright is everything. It's your inheritance. It's not just the inheritance. It's like the head of the family. And Esau, without blinking, says, yeah, it sounds like a good trade. What good is a birthright if, I'm, if I don't make it through the day? And so he just treats his birthright and his inheritance flippantly. And, and so this is using us. don't be like that. Don't use your inheritance as a son. Don't treat it flippantly. Don't be like Esau who chooses lentil soup over the birthright, over, over this thing. And, you know, that sounds probably silly to us. You know, who would choose a cup of soup or especially lentil soup over, <laughs> over this? But we do this all the time. We, we, ours just looks a little bit different. We, uh, we choose the stock market or we choose football or we choose beauty or we choose whatever. Uh, in place of what God is saying that we are to step into. So we must be watchful and we must be helping each other. Uh, this, is, this is a team sport. So what can we take away from this? I have three things that I want to briefly uh, look at and then we'll wrap, up. we'll wrap up our time. First is the race is tough. Sam walked through that. Uh, this race is tough and we need each other to finish. The, the primary gift of the church is not whoever's speaking up here. It's not church programs. It's certainly not church buildings. All of those things are, are good and part of the mechanism of the church, but it's not the primary gift of the church. 
The primary gift of the church are the people who are sitting next to you. It's the people sitting next to you around kitchen tables and back porches who every day are encouraging each other, who are restoring one another, who are being watchful over each other's lives to follow Jesus and to seek peace and to seek holiness. And so I just want us to think about uh, this week, where are we making time to do that? Where are we making time to be the church, not just come to church on Sunday morning? Where are we making time to be the church? Where are we actively encouraging and engaging one another um, in our faith? Uh, This says every day, not Sunday. Do it on Sunday, but do it every day, right? How are we doing that? Are we making the time to do that? So the race is tough. We need each other to finish. Second, our responses should look different from the world. Our responses should look different from the world. And if you think about Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter, he is the king. He, by the world's standards, really lost in every metric. Like if you look at his life, and the Wall Street Journal is not writing an article on Jesus' life. His life did not look like winning. You know, he didn't have much. He didn't have a house. He walked around. People made fun of him. Ultimately, he ends up dying. I mean, he, and he had, at the end, uh, not a lot of people standing around ready to follow him. In fact, the 12 that were following him, as deeply as you can follow a person, scattered whenever it got tough. So by the world standards, Jesus' life didn't look a lot like winning. And so that becomes hard as we think about how do we go through our day-to-day. I'm part of a, a software company. I work in the tech space. And we had our leaders in this week just to think about and plan for the future. And those meetings are really difficult because we, we can feel and sense what God is calling us to and what he's asking us to make decisions on and, and what that's going to look like. And it doesn't look like what's in Business Insider or TechCrunch or whatever your publication for your field is. It doesn't look like that. And so on one hand, you're like, oh, well, good. We're not supposed to look like you know, what the world looks like. On the other hand, that, there's tension in that. Because it's like, man, well, I, you know, it's just us. <laughs> Everyone else is doing, doing this. Most of the time in my peer group, I, people think I'm nuts. You know? And that's okay, right? Uh, but as that gets hard and as that tension is there, I wish I could say that I'm just faithful every time and just, man, Jesus says to do this and I jump. Um, but there's tension in that, and, and I get through that tension by thinking of the church, by thinking of you guys. I think of a, an attorney, one of our covenant partners, who had the opportunity to make partner, which is a big deal in, in the legal field, and decided not to step into that, even though it would be a lot more money and a lot more status, decided not to do that because it would take away from his family time. That, that to his peers, looked like losing. I think about a teacher who decided to lovingly discipline, lovingly discipline a child because she thought it was best for them. And the parent just lambasts this teacher on Facebook publicly, ridiculing the teacher that she doesn't know what she's doing. And the teacher, instead of responding in anger, responds in prayer and responds in peace. I think about stay-at-home parents. We have a lot of stay-at-home parents here who, who have gifts that could be used in the marketplace people who can heal and people who can bring beauty into the world through art who are deciding uh, by the Spirit's prompting to stay home and to raise children. We have parents who are in the workforce so it's, that are faithfully carrying out what the Spirit's given them to do. So it's not about the thing itself, 
But it's encouraging to see how you all process through that and how you respond to what God's giving you uniquely to do, what your peace and holiness looks like within the world. And it's through these things, through those responses to what the Spirit is doing, this is how God's glory is made known to the world. This is how God's glory is made known to the world. And so we need each other to do that, and our responses are going to look different, and we need each other even in the processing of how those responses should look. And so what is God, you know, thinking like, how can we think about this this week? What is God inviting you into that looks like losing by the world's standard? What is God inviting you into that, that looks like losing by the world's standard? And, and it's these words that Jesus echoed in my mind as I was thinking about this week. Are you greater than your master? Why would we think that Jesus, who is Savior and King, why would we think that our life would somehow need to look different than the way that he chose to live and the decisions that he chose to make? And so the last point I have, and honestly, I've talked for, I don't know, 30 minutes, um, and I really only had one point today. It's the big one, which is God is for you. He is for you. This whole thing, this whole chapter is about how much God is for you. And, and these believers needed to hear that. And we need to hear that. These, we talked about this a little bit. These are um, Jewish Christians that, that, they're writing to in, that the writer's writing to here in Hebrews. And they're about to face some really significant persecution. It, it's going to get really bad for them. And we are not, I mean, almost, I'm almost certain, we are not going to face the kind of persecution that these folks faced. And, and what would incite a country to be so angry at a group of people to, to, to put that kind of persecution on them. And, and it's striking to think about that Rome was not afraid of or angry at their doctrine. Did not care. Rome was a polytheist country or, or empire. They had lots of different gods. They had lots of different beliefs and lots of different uh, ways uh, of talking about those beliefs. One more belief system could not could care less, did not matter. What they hated was the manifestation of those doctrines. What they hated was that these people followed the king that these doctrines spoke about. They hated the obedience to King Jesus. That's what they hated. And so they persecuted them. And so as we look at any sort of exhortation, any sort of seeking, and, and any sort of, of doing, we, we have to come at it from the perspective that uh, God has made a way for that and is doing. Anytime he's exhorting us to step in, he is doing that through us. We are joining him in the work that he is doing. And he is inviting us, father to son or father to daughter. He's inviting us and he's saying, in our text, I am strengthening and I am healing and I am restoring. Join me in doing that. I am pursuing your peace. Pursue peace with me. I am pursuing your holiness. Pursue holiness with me. And so we just get this beautiful picture of him being for us and making a way. And so what is holding us back? What is holding us back? And so I, I didn't have a really strong conclusion uh, because the, I just could not get past reading chapter 12. And so what I want to do to wrap up our time, I'm going to read the whole chapter. And 
If you want to follow along in your Bible, if you want to see it, it'll be behind me. And if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, it doesn't, whatever, whatever you feel called to. Uh, but I'm going to read the whole chapter, and, and I don't want you to, don't exposit it, don't break it down, don't connect it. I just want you to listen to it, okay? I want you to listen to how much the Father is for you, and that's how we'll wrap up our time, okay? All right. Again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation, the encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. And strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which one fails to obtain the grace of God, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal 
gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, this is the church, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. As that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are once more, things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Father, you are so good. You're so good. So, so I just pray that your word, your word, your word is enough. Your word is alive here in this place. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray that it would pierce us. That your spirit would just rest on us. That we would see you as the loving father that you are. That we would trust that you are for us. And that we would step into that. We are so grateful. We just pray that Jesus would be magnified. Be magnified, Father, by our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.